Yeah. I've seen that with Outlook where they'll do here's like Cortana, I think is what it's called. And it says, here's tasks you've committed to oh, an email well, or whatever. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. Surprise special guest. Oh, <laughs> no way. I think we're just going to get his name on a That's card it. like that. That's it. I feel like, I feel like we it's rubbed already the lamp. a win. It's already a win. I feel like we rubbed the lamp and he appeared. <laughs> there he is. Look at that. Look at that. Gosh, you shrimp Molly. You're on mute, my friend. Sorry, Brent. Did I, did I save you from these two guys? <laughs> they, they bite really hard. You came yeah, at just the right time. I'm Chris Lockhart. Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. Uh, joined today by Phil Yanoff, Carol Hamilton, Shashi Shramali, good to see him again, and special guest star, Brent Stokes. Now, um, Brent, Brent's a friend of mine. He's a, he's a friend of, of the crew. And I, I wanted him to come on because he does sort of a special job that I think is actually kind of important right now. Uh, Brent is a recruiter, um, an executive recruiter. I'll let him talk a little bit about what he does here in a second. But I, I really wanted to get on this topic because I think, you know, towards the end of the year, I know the economy is doing what it's doing. Uh, business climate's changing a little bit. I think people are if you're a consultant, you're probably looking maybe for a job or you've been out of a job or you want some other gig or you want some insurance. And if you're a company, um, I know this from personal experience, you're trying to find the right talent um, to adapt to sort of changing business conditions. And so I really want to talk about like why it might be important to work with an executive recruiter, um, a recruiting firm, um, and have them on your side as you try to sort this out. So Brent, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do, your company, and you know this this whole idea of like you know why now, why why is this a problem now, kind of thing. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to partake in the conversation, and it's been great getting to know Carol and Shashi, Phil, Chris. Obviously, I've known you for a little while, but as a recruiter. A lot of times I get the opportunity to see a lot of environments and the struggles that a lot of different industries are going through, a lot of different organizations. And so it positions me in the market in a unique place to not only just be a matchmaker, bringing candidates to companies, but it also allows me insights into the market that you wouldn't find many other places. Um, being a trusted resource to candidates and helping them with their career. They're able to open up and share a lot about the struggles they're going through. Um, consultants in this particular market, and it's a very saturated market. Many companies shelved their transformation projects, their initiatives, and you have a lot of consultants that are out there looking for gigs. Similarly, a lot of companies are starting to plan, how do I begin relaunching some of these initiatives? How do I go about staffing? Because, you know, they had, when COVID started, one of two methodologies. They're either going to retain their people and move all the recruiting in-house, where you don't have as specialized people on those positions, or they said, we're not doing any hiring right now. Let's cut the people that do the hiring. And you had a large layoff of talent hack. 
And so as you're starting to move back into recruiting post-COVID, or rather we're during COVID, but thinking forward and progressive, a lot of those paradigms I think are going to start shifting. And so I get to see companies that are doing both and what I think might be working down the line. So that's where I really find myself at this point. I do talk to a lot of candidates. I talk to a lot of companies, but it goes a little bit deeper than just the recruiting aspects. Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to say, like, why not just use, you know, monster.com? Well, I, that's sort of a glib response, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, why, why would you need, like, so Phil, I mean, you do networking events. What, how is this different than sort of like, let me show up at a tech after five event, get my free beer and, you know, talk to people. I mean, is it a similar thing or like, what's, how do they go together recruiting and networking? No, no, no. I, I mean, I think this is a, I would like to think this is a really good fit, right? And what I think about this is, you know, most people know that you are going to find your next gig through networking, right? It's it's a really good opportunity to meet a bunch of people. But the thing is, one of the people you want to meet are recruiters who are in the know with who is hiring and what are they up to. So, you know, I think a lot of folks come to our event so that they can talk to guys like Brent, who uh, have a better than average. I mean, you know, he's sitting on a high perch in terms of knowing who's hiring at the moment. So I think that's useful. Yeah. I mean, it, you, are you on a high perch, Brent? Uh, I don't know what that means. I'm going to say... If Phil his, sees his, me on a high perch. <laughs> yeah, but his, so his visibility of what's going on in the market is much better than the average cat, right? I mean, the thing is, you know, you talk to someone who's out of work, right? And they think, oh my God, no one's hiring. I mean, and the stories they tell that they've made up inside their own head. I'm too old. I've got the wrong skills. I'm on the wrong version of this. I mean, it's just nuts, right? Yeah. And the fact is there are people like Brent who are looking for folks and they're going, look, I'm not expecting a perfect fit. I'm just expecting someone who's going to show up and do a good job. And can you be that person? So, yeah, I, you know, and I think that's important because I mean, we all saw it over the summer, right. And experienced this where it's like, you know, uh, or you've heard stories of like, you know, I, I submitted like 300 resumes kind of thing. And it's like, whatever the automated bot is that filters all that stuff out. You know, if, if you didn't have Java in the right part of your resume, it like throws your, your resume out when in fact you might be a really good fit for that. Shashi, I know, I mean, I know, you know, we've all sort of shifted jobs here in the past um, year or so, right? Um, I, I kind of want to get your perspective because I know, you know, you've gone through this process. I know I've gone through this process sort of like, how do you, how do you make sure that you know, I know I can do this job, but the, the resume, you know, interface won't let me submit it without putting, I knew Java for 10 years kind of thing. Like, you know, how do we get past that sort of automatic filtering? And get to a point where we know the people like Brent that can sort of slot us in and say, you know what, I know you can pick this up. It's not a big deal that you don't have X on your resume. Absolutely. I'm not a big fan of submitting resume on an online portal and expecting a response to be received. So I have primarily and I highly recommend relying on two channels. One is definitely people like Brent who kind of uh, brings in a human perspective on not really a machine where they are looking for some keywords. I wouldn't even trust the recruiter of a company um, who would be scanning for 10 seconds and looking at, okay, this person has Java. The hiring manager has said Java. If he doesn't have Java, let me kick him out, right? Or at least if he does not have three projects in Java versus people like Brent who can bring in a human aspect of it or uh, you know, companies pay more attention to their internal employee referrals. Nowadays, it's a huge, huge thing where they, can, they are accountable for... Uh, you know, responding back at least to their internal employees on why they did not choose a resume. 
and they can make sure or they can facilitate that conversation and make sure that your resume gets in the right hand and uh, your skills are heard just beyond those critical keywords which any you know normal recruiter would be probably looking at so i highly rely on these two channels um, second thing is i always tend to start from um what position i'm applying for start from there and then see all of us have i mean depending on stage of a career you are in you have enormous experience all you got to do is high and nobody has time to you know hear your 10 years of experience or 5 years of experience or 20 years of experience so you look at what the job is looking at start from there outside in and then you highlight those relevant experience within your uh, resume or experience whether it's java or something related to java uh, you know you may have done similar type of complex coding in python or whatever it could be object oriented stuff and all uh, you highlight those experience which uh, will entice or tell your story and entice the hiring manager rather than creating one resume and then trying to put in 100 different places which will not do any good to you and so I think that's my yeah yeah going off of what you said the first one and even to chris's point too the companies i've looked at and worked with they have never had an automated system that disqualifies based off of keywords at some level there's always that human having to open up the document the pdf or the um you know input form or whatever the case unless if there's some auto questions that pop up that are custom to a position usually you're getting rejected by a human and just never hearing back and that's the same in internal recruiting for you know corporate recruiters as well as agency recruiters and so the challenge becomes who is the one that's actually rejecting and that's where the personal relationship comes into play um you're not going to find your next gig unless if you have some sort of interface and interaction with a human it's not going to come through just clicking it's a necessary activity cuz that gets you to the face to face conversation but it's not as frequently as knowing somebody like phil i need to make a connection or carol i need to make a connection and working your networks that's far more profitable on a time timeline but then the flip side is also your resume and you have to know this job description said these 10 things they're looking for and chances are there's some you know there's some person that's screening those and if it doesn't see seven of those they're not going to push it forward and so you have to have the candidates that are coached in the resume and how to frame it um because again necessary evil for some of those processes and how do you update those processes to be more efficient and inclusive uh, carol i mean I certainly hear, you know, when I'm working with an executive and it's like, you know, well we don't have the arms and the legs for this. And it's like, well why not? Oh, well we can't find the right talent, right? And we we acknowledge the talent is out there on the one hand. On the other hand, executives are saying we can't find the talent. So there's there's like a breakdown somewhere in there, right? Do you, the the folks that you yeah. work with and coach, do you think they appreciate that like there's this the people are there and we're just not finding them like I think there's a rec- yeah there's a recruiter argument here that a good recruiter argument here and to Brent's point when you've got somebody who understands both sides there are the, the recruiters out there who are just collecting resumes and throwing as much as they can against the wall and nobody appreciates them because everybody ends up frustrated but the ones who actually care enough to say who are you and what do you do the thing that they can bring in and I think this is where that gap is Chris is 
if you keep looking in the same place, if everybody's mining out of the exact same place, then there is a shortage. But there are so many people who have skill sets that are applicable, but they're not in the same exact language or they're not in the exact same perspective. You know, I, I remember once, and this is an odd combination, but years ago, I helped somebody who was a former sniper in the military. And he had on his resume, I'm a sniper. Well, oddly enough, he didn't get a lot of res of interviews until we broke down what are the skills required to be a sniper? You know, pr precision, um, attention to detail, uh, patience, et cetera. In consulting, my God, the number of things that we know that could be applied to different fields that we may never have thought of, Brent is in the perfect place to say, wait a minute, I've got somebody who thinks in those terms and who might even be bringing a different perspective for you. And so it's not only, it's not just a good thing. It could actually be an incredibly expansive and innovative thing to use somebody who's in that position like Brent is. So Phil, Brent, Chashi, I mean, why are there so many ill fits? Like, you know, in the past when I was looking for a job, I'd get calls like, you know, you're, you have architecture in your resume. Would you like to, you know, work in this company that builds buildings, right? Like it was like, it's that bad in some cases, right? So I have a take on this. Uh, this is classic, you know, data architecture stuff, right? Um, if you want to discover something, you've got to have the right metadata, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at uh, each of those uh, people looking for jobs, they basically need to have the right metadata, even on LinkedIn, on their resume. So when people are searching for it, they can search through the metadata. But what people like Brent, bring to the table is an additional context. They enrich that metadata and make it more discoverable. That's what I would say. Second point I want to make in continuation to what Carol mentioned is uh, there are different level of, uh, you know, even recruiters involved, right? External agent. In the past, like, you know, when I landed in this country, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, and I, when I came to this country in 2001 and 2002, three, uh, there are like at the, at the programmer level, there are so many people who are traditionally just looking at resumes. They don't add value. You know, they get a requirements and I would get the same 100 different recruiters reaching out to me for the same job position. So that's more like a broadcast where they are looking to recruit in volume and then people are kind of looking and searching. They don't add much value. They are just connecting, you know, demand with supply. Sounds like, right? sounds like a real estate agent. Yes, that's what, that's what it is. I mean... I mean, real estate same listings. Same listings, exactly. Sure. So it was the same model. But then, is that, as yeah. Brent, is are you just a glorified real estate agent for the job market? You just you so just have to funny. hold on. No, I've no, hold, hold on. It. <laughs> hold, hold on, right? So that's where I started. Now, when I um, you know grew in my career, now wherever I am right now, I don't see those kind of a people reaching out to me. B um, the kind of people I connect with are people like Brent who add more value and I appreciate the value they bring to the table. There are people who have kind of coached me in the past when I'm going for an interview. They have those sort of an interview guide, understand the culture of the company. This is what they are looking for. So they work more as an advisor to me rather than, you know, just connecting demand with supply. Yeah. So and I think what you're saying is totally spot on in a sense, it ties together, Carol, and, and your points. Part of, as a recruiter, what I'm looking at is who's going to fit a particular role with a client. And I can tell the caliber of a candidate based off of the types of questions they're asking me as a recruiter. Um, 
if I don't get any questions from, say, Carol has some executives that are in the job market and they're not screening their recruiters for the quality of the recruiter, I know that the roles that that recruiter is going to bring to that candidate aren't going to make sense either. And so you're not going to trust me, Shashi, when we go to the interview and I'm trying to prep you on the position. There's that back and forth that even the recruiter has to have with that that candidate. And that candidate really needs to be engaging in the same qualifying questions to help establish that level of competence and quality. Um, it goes to that trust. The more you can push on each other, the you know deeper that relationship's going to go. I like that. I like that a lot because when I'm doing coaching, especially for pre-interview coaching, we're looking at things that are really specific and personal. Like I, I had a lot of people that were part of when GE started to to um, change. And one of the things we looked at is this rich career of 20 years at GE, but then they ended up all they could talk about was GE, which led the, the next employer to think, well, that's all you know how to do. How are you going to fit into our culture? And that kind of private coaching that you're just talking about, Brent, is what really distinguishes, I think, a good recruiter who says, let's, have, let's just exchange some question and answer. Let me hear how you present yourself. Because I'm not trying to teach you how to box yourself into this particular company, but I want to hear you from their perspective and see if this is a match and even just see if it might be a match if you were to just adjust your language and just see, speak of yourself in a little bit broader terms than Absolutely. this one position that you've had for 20 years. Yeah. Chris, were you saying something? I was muted. Ah. <laughs> I was just the voices in my head then sounded like you. Sorry was, about that. I was like Fraser yeah. Crane. I was listening. That's scary. Chris is the voice in your head. Yeah, yeah. I know. who knew? Yeah. Is it the is it the who naughty plays boy? the angel role? Is my question. <laughs> if you've got Chris on one shoulder, who plays the angel? Um, so uh, I, I have a question about this, Brent. Um, you know, because I, I think this is a discovery problem, right? And that's kind of a side conversation we've had in this bit. Is that you know you've got just the way Chris pointed out to begin with, right? You've got um, candidates who are trying to find a gig, you know, particularly someone who's an active job seeker, right? They're really, you know, they are motivated to find that next gig. You've got employers who say, well, I just can't find the right people. That's that thing that Chris is talking about. I can't find these right people. And so, I, you know, I'm not sure I'm a big fan of the, the uh, efficient marketplace. I don't think that's it. And I think part of it, I, interestingly enough, is because it's a consulting problem. In anything like this, it's like, well, we don't really know what to ask for, and they don't know really what to tell us. And between, and so getting the two of those, and that's where I think that a recruiter comes in and establishes some real value because of their uh, frequency of doing this, because the expertise they bring to it. I think they ask both sides good questions that might cause them to figure out if there's a fit in here, right? I think that's absolutely the other side of this coin. We've talked a lot about the candidates, but equally, when you go into an organization that, you know, whether it's midsize enterprise, um, you don't see it too frequently with smaller businesses necessarily, but you can go in really in a consultative role. And as someone's going through an enterprise business transformation, be that resource consultant. Here's what the market's looking like. Um, what phases do you see this playing out in? Do you really need someone that's going to be full-time or do you need someone that's going to be a contractor for just this phase of the project? Do you need, you can really go in and help 
establish a lot of those because you've gone through those enterprise transformations with previous clients, those modernizations, those lift and shifts, whatever the you know issue is that you're facing. But then deeper, you can ask those specific questions around technologies, around culture, around what is the team dynamic and what is the career growth? The questions that you wouldn't see in a job description that give flavor and salt and pepper to an opportunity for a candidate, you're going to get much higher yield with the people that are interested in your job if you have a recruiter helping pull that information out of you. And it's, you know, sometimes you have managers that have a decent knack for that naturally, but a lot of times you need someone to help. So if yeah, I want to tell you most interviews that I've seen when someone is not schooled in how to conduct an effective interview, it just comes off as a bad date. You know, mm-hmm. they're just, I mean, they're asking the wrong questions. They have no idea what future performance might be like. I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, in terms of finding someone who might be a good fit inside the organization, able to do the job, bring to the position the amount of flexibility required. And I just mean that, you know, as someone who's hiring a person, I just want really good people doing a thing. And what I need them to do may actually change over time. And if they can change with me and with where we're headed, that's all the better. Yeah, my wife had had an interview over the summer and... I mean, it, it was, I mean, she totally qualified to do the position. She could have run the whole department, right? Um, and the people they had, they had a panel interview and it was like three people in their early 20s. And the questions were like, I'm being flippant, but it was like, if you could be a tree, what kind of tree would you be? I mean, it was that kind of yeah. stupid Kumbaya. Like, boilerplate nonsense. Like, what are your greatest strengths, right? It's like, well, my greatest strength is I'm too honest, right? Like that kind of stupid stuff, right? Yeah. It's like My greatest strength yes. is I ask better questions than this. Yeah. And she yes. came home and she came home and she was like, you know, there's, you know, I basically, I'm, I'm turning them down because it was so ridiculous, right? And I think there's a risk for employers that you don't put your, your A game into finding the talent. You end up with you know, C-class talent kind of thing. You, the good people walk away because you look like uh, you look like a bush league, right? You look amateur. You look ridiculous. Well, and more importantly, I mean, yes, I mean, lots of us might look stupid in a spot like that, and that's that's a bad thing all the way around because it doesn't give us access to the highest quality talent. But more importantly, you're just not going to find someone who can actually do the fit. You didn't ask the right questions, and you went into this. And again, if you're inexperienced in bringing on talent. The talent itself is like, you know, if this guy's got, whoever, guy, gal, doesn't matter, but, you know, if they have a small number of jobs in their background, they've not been through this a lot either. Neither one knows how to evaluate the other well. I mean, then what is this? Absolutely. And that goes to a retention question. You know, a lot of the retention issues are foundational in the recruiting process. Um, COVID has knocked a lot of the market rates down and the companies that bend to that new market rate are going to find six months down the road that they're in the same exact hiring position that they are today. They may have filled it for six months, but when the market readjusts, that whole salary band is going to have people looking again. You're going to have a retention issue. And being able to talk to that within a you know interview, what's your retention like? How do you treat people? And a big question that's going to come up is how did you treat people during COVID? What was your company's response? That's already being asked. Do I need to work with a recruiter? Because I mean, on your LinkedIn profile, right? It says, 
Um, oh crap, it went away. Where'd it go? Oh, there it is, right? You're a human fast forward button, which I like, right? But that begs the question, what if I just go on play? I don't need fast forward. Yeah, it's slower, but I can still get there. In other words, do I need you? You absolutely can find a position without a recruiter. That's, it's going to go to speed and quality and ultimately your market value. If you're working with a recruiter, this is going to help your end goal with whatever your comp is because you have an intermediary. You don't have to stand in there for yourself. You have someone else that can negotiate on your behalf, knows the market, knows the salary requirements for the client. You're able to go in with a better negotiating position as a candidate, but equally in that same respect, you have the client, you know, whichever organization you're working with, hopefully you build trust through that process that whatever this candidate is going to get offered is actually going to seal the deal. There's not that guessing game. Is this candidate going to take my offer at the end of this you know, interview process? You don't go through six or seven rounds of talking to someone just to get a no at the end of it. Well, I think you definitely need people like Brent. I think they... Uh, you know, form a bridge between um, the people who are seeking one so that I don't have to sit and waste time in scanning hundreds of resumes and go through those 30 minutes of interviews um, and then figure out that either the salary is not a match or a culture is not a match. All those can be vetted out. Uh, That's a big one, what you just yeah. mentioned, comp, right? Yeah. Because I mean, we've all been there where we get candidates come through and it's like you get to the end and their comp request is like, that doesn't fit. Well, doesn't how did we exactly. get this far without knowing that? Yeah, yeah, no, it has happened, you know, with me in the past, uh, and then that's where uh, you know people like Brent can actually add a lot more value um, in coaching both sides. What is the reasonable salary in the market so that people don't you know strive for more? Not that they shouldn't. Well, <clears throat> I mean, let's be clear. Brent works for the hiring manager. He doesn't work for the consultant. So, you know, in that case, you know, uh, having people like Brent, having really good recruiters as friends is powerful, right? Having them in your network, having them think of you positively, holding a positive regard for you is super powerful because they're looking around because they're, they're looking at you thinking, oh my God, this guy's going to be no trouble at all when I find a spot, right? So, all I'm would, you know, at that point, he's in a completely different mode. He's out there looking for when he sees a spot and you're it, you're in. That's it's good. Um, I, but I think right now, if I were, if I'm actively pursuing a gig and I'm not currently employed, you know, my advice is always that if you are actively looking for your next gig, if you need and want that gig, you should treat finding your next gig as a full-time job. So you have social media responsibilities, you have LinkedIn profile responsibilities, you have job board responsibilities, and you have networking responsibilities. You should be network, you know, you should be building a powerful, broad professional network on as many people that can bring fish into the net for you as possible. That I think it's sense. a I think it's a big gig. I think it's uh, it's hard. I mean, Brent, you're in this industry. What should people be doing to you know, be able to either, you know, come on your radar or on the company side, right, to, to work with you um, to find people? I think the biggest mindset challenge that job seekers have that I come across regularly is I can't leverage my network. There's some sort of inequity if I ask someone to put in a word for me. And that's just not true. 
Um, Shashi's, you know, second point, I think, was you should be leveraging your network. And you obviously work with recruiters, but even more so, people that know you, clients you've worked with in the past, customers um, that are, you know, you're familiar with, be leveraging that network. And a lot of times, if you're going to a friend that works at a company, if they ref- recommend you, they're going to get some sort of bonus for if you get hired. There's no ill will with asking for recommendations. And if you know somebody at a company that you're interested in going for, you should be proactively reaching out to them and say, hey, I don't see anything on the website, but I'm really interested in what your company is doing with XYZ. Um, make yeah. it personal. Right. So don't just spam your resume um, to everything that shows up when you search jobs on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Can I get an email address for you, Chris, anyway? I just wanted to send you my resume. I'm I'm, I'm taking a note of that right now. Okay. Um, No. So, all right. So now if I'm a company though, and it's like, crap, I've, you know, I got all these projects. I got these gigs all kicking off in January, all these, you know, initiatives. We just went through, you know, eight months, nine months of like layoffs and reductions in force and all these sorts of things. You know, and I don't have people. In fact, I have a client right now that's in this this position. They just lost, they just forced retired a whole bunch of people. All the institutional knowledge went out. Now they have like, you know, kids, I'm being pejorative, but you know, they have younger people um, that don't have the knowledge and yet they've funded all these big initiatives for 2021 and they have no one to go do it. How do they find a you? What I would always suggest in that scenario you have people within the industry that understand the space, your key competitors, and they're doing the exact same thing and they're facing the exact same struggles as you. But one of the, if you find a great recruiter, they will know all of your competition. They won't be like, who is this company? When in fact, they're your largest competitor. They're going to know the ins and outs of their organization. And because of that, they're going to be able to find up you know, incredible consultant that would be worth three previous employees to come in, help lead something like that, um, guide them through that transition. Because every one of your competitors, they're all going through the same things you are. They're all responding in similar ways. You may not know it. You may not realize that. But a good recruiter works with all of your competition at some level or has knowledge of your competition at some level. All right. So, so how does it work? Who pays you in, in a recruiter role? Who are you work? Who would you say you work for? <laughs> At the end of the day, I, I work for the company. The client is my ultimate responsibility. And what they, they pay you, what a percentage of something or a flat fee. Like what, what is the model? How does that work? There's several different models. Um, if we're talking about permanent placements, usually it's a negotiated fee based off of whatever the candidate's accepted salary is. That's the most you know, common one that people are familiar with because it's been around since the 70s. Mm. But you also have a lot of consultants and this consultant saying things, the model is different because it's usually contract-based, whether it's W-2, 1099, corp-to-corp, whatever level of contract it is, you usually will work out just an agreed-upon bill rate. Um, There's not always transparency between what the client is paying, what the you know, overhead costs, burden, whatever you want to call it, are to the recruiting company. But then there's that payment to the consultant and all of that's separated and it keeps things very clean for the, the company that's hiring in a consultant. So that would be a different way to do it. Um, 
A lot of people are doing hybrid models where it's a contract to hire, but it's a predetermined three-month or six-month contract, which I personally hate. I don't think there's an easier way to say we don't actually value our people than to do that because it's almost like try before you buy. It's that used car salesman kind of, if I don't like you, I'm just going to get rid of you at the end of the day. There's no guarantee. But when you have either a permanent placement you know, when you give that offer, you're saying, I love you. I want to be your, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. I want to go study with you. But otherwise, contract to hire, you're just, you're dating around. I might still be seeing other people. I don't know. Now, careful, Brent. It's a, it's a PD show, Brent. So be careful how far you take that analogy. <laughs> but you get the, you get the sentiment there. <laughs> yeah. So. Sorry, Shashi, what, what were you saying? I want to take it uh, to one level beyond what Brent was saying. So contract to hire is more like live in and then get married. It's not even dating. That's you can, true. You can cut it if you want. This goes straight to the cutting room floor. Just like going to say. Who's doing the laundry? Someone's washing socks? Is, is, that, that, is, that, is that the... No, I think there's a delusion that it's all happening online, but I think it's a delusion because as far as I can tell, and this is coming from even within getting promotions within a company, it's all in who you know. Because who you know says what you know, what you know about their culture, what you know about their opportunities. Are they in a growth spurt? Are they in a, are they, you know, furloughing? And so the more relationships you have, the better. And I, I wanted to follow up on what they were saying earlier. You need to build a network before you need one. But the executives who are looking at the Brents of the world are looking for long-term relationships with recruiters and people that they can go back to and say, okay, look, we, we have a miss. We're, we're trying to hire for this and here's where the miss is. Or, you know, we, we were seeing a pattern of we need to shift what we're looking for. And when you go back to somebody like Brent, where you have this Long, long-term relationship, he is always on the hunt for you. And he's going places that your HR people may not be going and may not have access to. And so I, I think they're critical. I think that, that they're being seen as critical. And also, again, coming back to they have a very different vision of who fits because you might be locked into, well, we need to replace Tom because Tom has been retired and now we need Tom back. And Brent walks in and says, you know, Tom was great, but have you considered this person who has this extended resume that might take you somewhere completely different? I think of an example, there's an engineering company that works heavily with their airlines and they regularly bring in automotive engineers into some of the positions because automotive engineers think so very differently from aeronautical engineers. But it was a recruiter who first said, have you thought in these terms? And that's a vision that you don't always get from the people who are in the, in the trenches in your company. And I think most executives um, recognize that. So what are the candidates doing wrong from your point of view <clears throat> at the moment? At the moment, I think it's a challenging market for recruiters in the sense that candidates come in with expectations that it's a pre-COVID market when it's changed and it's saturated with candidates. Um, Being able to adjust those expectations will help your mindset. And you have to understand it's a longer sales cycle right now than it would have been prior. Mm. Um, So if if your mindset's getting down in the dump, dumps from day one because you're expecting to find something in three weeks, you're probably going to continue seeing that rejection and rejection and it builds up and interviewers see that. So yeah. But, but I would say right, you know, I have sometime the history of 
changing it at the most critical time. Like I joined my new firm on 31st March, right when the pandemic mm-hmm. hit. I had yeah. changed job from coming from India fresh off the board uh, and changing a job here in the US. That was when 2008 meltdown happened. So I'm a firm believer that if you have the right skill and if you position it well, opportunities are always there. Of course, for more experienced people, I won't deny that. So I wouldn't discourage people uh, that jobs and all, at least in the tech sector, jobs are always available. You have to make yourself relevant and you have to have the right pitch. Um, of course, patience also plays a part. I feel more confident. If somebody is willing to hire me in these tough times, they really need me. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be hired. I really need you, Shashi. <laughs> I really do. I know you won't leave your cushy job now, but man. Uh, I don't know about it's cushy, but uh, I'm enjoying. I'm going to build some. You're working with Dirk? Here. You're working with oh, Dirk? Oh, yes. I'm Dirk with Dirk quite a lot. So what, 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 does a, what does a prime candidate to become a recruiter look like? That's a great question. And it truly depends. I don't think anyone grows up, and maybe my kids will, saying, I really want to be a recruiter. Like no one just says, I want to go make a million calls. I want to talk to a million people and just um, not be able to explain what I do to my in-laws at Thanksgiving. Like, you know, most people will say, I want to be a doctor or firefighter or something like that. Right. So the ideal person I would say is just someone that's genuine, wants to get to know people and wants to do better by other people. But someone that's determined and has drive and an achiever, you have to have that. I'm going to get rejected, you know, a hundred times to get one. Yes. You have to have that mentality. So if there's anyone listening out there that wants to be a recruiter, I'm happy to talk with you about it, (laughs) but it's not something that people generally grow up thinking that's a cool gig that I want to be a part of. Uh, that actually sounds like consulting, not being able to explain it. To me. That's what I was thinking. You just <laughs> described consulting. Welcome to Thanksgiving conversation. What do you do again? Yeah, exactly. Sasha, you brought up a point about fresh out of school. Yeah, what were you I mean, uh, I mean, all this is good, right? You know, with the experienced people, I have worked for uh, close to twenty years now, and then uh, you know, I would have every company I go to, at least I have some, depending on the duration, one to ten great contacts. They go in some other companies. It's relatively, you know, relatively easier for me to navigate and find job for myself, right? I definitely rely on executive recruiters like yourself, Brent. But the biggest problem is people who are fresh out of school, uh, especially in the pandemic type of situation. I mean, do you entertain those candidates? Uh, I'm not sure if companies come to you asking for people with zero or less than one year's experience. How do they go about doing this? That's a great question. And it's a hard conversation a lot of times because candidates, you know, fresh out of school or um, recently even changing careers, I I would consider that fresh into the marketplace if you're changing into a new space. It's hard to have those conversations sometimes because a client realistically isn't going to pay a recruiter fee to place someone that's you know, that they're going to be gifting the experience is how the client's thinking about it. I'm going to be giving someone the opportunity to learn our systems, our processes and develop them. And so why should I be paying a recruiter to go find someone that I could realistically walk into any college campus and find that resource? So would you you still go ahead and would you still go ahead and entertain such people? Like people in the sense like client, you say that I will do this free for them. And so this is where you really have to be in it for the long game. And I will 
I will take those calls and I always start the conversation with, I want you to know up front, I probably won't be able to help you right now in the sense that I won't be able to find you a job. But what I want to do is give you career advice and I want to look at your resume and I'm going to go through it and give you pointers on how to take the experience that you have, whatever it looks like, and make it translatable to whichever industry you're really interested in. And if I have connections, even if they're not going to pay me, I can introduce you to people. But that job's probably not coming through me because the client's not going to be able to pay for it. But I'm happy to network because I hope down the road in your career, we stay in touch. You just and brought I do up, that is, a lot. You just brought up a really good point, Brent, that I want to make. Um, and you know, I've worked with someone over the years and people who know me and worked at the same places know who I'm talking about. Um, but she turned out to be more of a, like a psychologist for me over the years, right? Like, don't be an idiot. Why are you doing this? You should be doing this. You should be thinking about it like this. Call me back in six months when you figured that crap out, but I can't do anything for you right now. Right? Like that sort of like get out of your own way. Like that sort of um, advisory, like she's like a psychologist, like a therapist. <laughs> cheaper Coach. though, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, for me, cheaper. Yeah. Um, so, all right. No, I, this is, this is, yeah, go ahead, Shashi. Sorry. So one thing, so shouldn't, you know, it's for all executive recruit recruitment industry people shouldn't be, you guys be treating it as a pro bono, helping these kids right out of the college and doing it sort of having some program where you guys offer it for free for your clients. Again, on a limited basis that you can do one case, two case, three case, and then help these kids fresh out of the college and get that job. Assuming that these guys will be, you know, your candidate for the rest of their lives as a future investment, you should be thinking about it. Yeah, I absolutely agree too. And I think education is actually one of the critical things that we face in IT that has the most impact downstream. And specifically, last week you all spoke about DNI. I don't think that IT makes that shift. There's so many different facets to DNI diversity and inclusion. But one area that's really easy for recruiters to help companies get on board with is talent in developing the future talent markets. How do you, as a company, invest in people that are at the beginning stages of their career to help diversity and inclusion downstream? And so we've had several clients I've worked with personally that how do we get into the universities and how do we pour into education? How do we create a fund for DNI candidates at a university just so that they can get STEM education? But education is important. But how do you make that first step out of a career? You create a pathway and you really have to have corporate partners to do that. I can offer advice and I can make introductions, but it takes a lot more lift than just a recruiter can bring. So, I, I mean, I think this is all, these are all great points here, right? I think, you know, the question I would have is sort of, you know, what, what's the one takeaway for someone that's listening, right? If they're, if they're looking for a job or if they're trying to find people to fill roles, when it comes to recruiters, what's, what's the last thought? Phil, what, we'll, let's start with you. It's the order in which you're on the Zoom screen. We'll start with Phil. Um, you know, I never go first because alphabetical order is what normally happens. And so I'm at the bottom of the list. So I'm kind of, I'm not used to this at all. Uh, 
what's the one takeaway? I think it's ask better questions. No, I think, um, you know, to hold <laughs> this, I mean, Brent brought up some good moments or good ideas uh, and important things, right? Both for both sides, right? So for the candidate, the world's moving at a different pace. You got to kind of figure that out and figure out where it is, if they need it, how are you going to get into that? But I really uh, like this idea that, um, hey, candidates are going to be evaluating companies based on how they treated their employees when times got tough. Holy cow. Some people are going to have something to answer for, and it's going to show up in who comes to work for them next. Yeah, um, I'm just really big. I loved his idea that don't don't hesitate to ask, that you should be reaching out. You should have the kind of network where you can ask, which also means you should be answering the phone when somebody wants something from you. If you're one of the people who are working, make sure that you're opening to your network, that you're willing to be whatever help you can be to others, because right now you might be the one in the boat, but we don't know where you're going to be six months or a year from now. Be a good human, you know, make sure that you're helping take care of the people you do know. Two, two things, right? One takeaway for people who are looking for the job. Uh, one is uh, definitely leverage two channels. One is executive recruiters, uh, open up to them, uh, seek for guidance, seek for advice, try to understand the company, look for outside in perspective rather than, Telling them what you already know, customize your profile, customize your pitch. That's number one. Uh, and then leverage the internal employees. Uh, reach out to them through LinkedIn because they are the one who, more than the recruiters or executive recruiters. They can tell you within the firm, companies like Salesforce and other big four firms, how the company structure, which group could be the right group for you. They can connect you to people who can, uh, who are within that group can tell you more about the kind of work they do. So that when you are going for an interview, you are a lot more prepared um, than anybody else. That's number one. Second thing is to executive recruiter, my advice would be start as part of the marketing initiatives, sort of a pro bono for the fresh out of college and take like one case per month sort of. And then that could be your strategic differentiator one. Second, builds pipeline for the future. Thirds, help you establish a strong relationship uh, with uh, the employers who are paying you. Uh, it's a long-term relationship. So, Brent, as is customary, we give you sort of the last word on this. Um, and, you know, I don't know, is there one thing? I think it goes to relationships. It's all about relationships. And you can apply by clicking on the LinkedIn Apply button 300 times, and you may never get anywhere. But as soon as you have that deep um personal connection. It doesn't even have to be deep. As long as you have that personal connection, there's someone that's putting their name on you saying, hey, I will sponsor this person to walk them into my organization. Um, that's powerful. That's a different sale. So having a recruiter that's taken the time to establish those relationships, um, that's important for a candidate to have. But equally on the client side, there's no better market research that you're going to get as to what should we be compensating people, what talent is out there, how should we be thinking about the next six months to three years in terms of staffing for whatever initiatives we have coming up and partnering with a recruiter. Um, I think that you have to evaluate your recruiter, like what Carol and I were talking about. You have to evaluate your recruiter from the client side as well. Some of those things you have to really drill in. What is your specialty? Do you know who my competition is? Are you really that in tune, in tune to my business? And if they can answer that, 
invest in them because they're going to invest their time in you. They're going to match your urgency. But, you know, for me personally, I've loved this conversation. Uh, And so tell us a little bit about your company. It's Blue Signal. Is that right? Yeah, I work for Blue Signal. We have different different streams of, you know, different verticals we work in. I personally am in high tech, anything from enterprise transformation to very niche um, technology skill sets. But we also have practices that work in healthcare. We have practices that work in wireless and internet of things, manufacturing, um, finance and accounting. But find a recruiter that's specialized. Um, You know, I'm never going to try to sell you on something I can't do. You need someone that you can have that trust that's going to tell you no sometimes as well. Appreciate that. And uh, we'll put the link on the on the page with the episode. So guys, I appreciate every one of you. Shashi, it's great to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, Brent, good to see you. Phil Yanoff, Carol Hamilton. Um, I'm Chris Lockhart. And if you want to see all of our new stuff every week, you got to like and subscribe. Where's the bell? It's up here. Actually, on the YouTube video, it's like down in, in the corner, there's a little button. You can just push it and subscribe right there. So you should definitely do that. Um, all the great content week after week for you. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, we'll see everyone. We'll see everyone next time.